You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Morning, Black Forest Chapel. We're excited to be with you guys again this morning. Um, we're going to sing some songs lifting up the name of Jesus. We're going to talk about his goodness, and we are going to sing of his protection in our lives. So we invite you to enter in with us. Praise God from whom all the scenes flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sing that again, praise God. Praise God from whom all Blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son. Oh 
From Psalm 23, one of our most beloved psalms and especially appropriate um, in today's society. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So for our final song this morning, we're going to sing Psalm 23 together. So. Oh, 
Thank you for the promises of your word this morning. We thank you that you're our shepherd, our protector. The God who created the universe is walking right by our side every single day, so we will fear no evil. We pray that you open our hearts this morning, God, to hear what you want to speak to us. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Black Forest Chapel, and good morning to all of you um, who are joining us online for our um, once again, our service, um, as we gather to worship, even though we are apart, um, our goal, once again, is to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, um, to honor him, to be encouraged and built up through the ministry of the word and through worship. And we thank uh, Derek and Courtney Miller for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, it's a great blessing to have music in this building again, so um, we're thankful for that. If you are... Um, 
continuing to join us online. Um, and if you have any questions about the church or would like to know more about possibly when we're going to be reopening, and uh, there'll be more communications coming out about that. So please check our website and feel free to uh, send an email through our contact form on our website as well and we'll get you more information about Black Forest Chapel. We'd love to see you in person once we, we reopen. As many of you know, uh, this is Memorial Weekend, and Monday is Memorial Day, and so we want to just take a moment to quietly reflect and remember those who have um, sacrificed everything, the men and women of our military who gave their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy today. And so I just want to take a, just a moment of silence just to consider and think and remember, um, and then we'll pray, and then we'll open God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything in our lives. Um, Anything that is good, anything that we can enjoy, anything that brings us hope is truly from you. Um, And we thank you for our country. We thank you that we live in a place that um, allows us to worship freely, to work freely, And Lord, that you are in control of all of that. You have provided that grace for us. And Lord, although right now um, we are in a very strange time where some of those freedoms have been kind of put on the shelf or or hindered or just pressed pause, Father, we know that you're still in control. And um, we do not uh, take lightly what we've been given through the men and women who have, um, on the field of battle, given their lives for us and for our sake. So thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you um, that we have a a moment to remember and that we have uh, this weekend and even Monday where many people will visit cemeteries and memorials and and spend time with family and just remembering and enjoying the freedoms that we have. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege to worship you. Even though we're doing it still online at the moment, Lord, we know that's coming to an end soon. By your grace and through the prayer of your people, you will be reopening houses of worship where we'll be able to reopen our building and gather together together again. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you and trust you and anticipate being able to do that and to have fellowship again as your people, to worship collectively, to lift up our voices, to hear together your word and to walk in obedience. You are so good, Lord, as we sang about this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can walk through these dark times, Lord, not fearing anything or anyone, because we know you. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray you would teach us this morning about wisdom. Um, We desperately need it, especially in these times. We need your help to uh, hear from you clearly so we may walk in your ways and not in the ways of man. Help us, Father, in our weakness, our limitations, our fatigue. And now, Lord, help us by your Holy Spirit just to hear from you. Help us to understand your word and help us to obey. 
And we pray for all of our brothers and sisters who are not here this morning, who are in their homes, and we just pray for safety, for you to keep us free from the virus, Lord, free from despair and loneliness, and you would be everything to us, Father. You would fill us with your Holy Spirit to be your people, to walk in this world differently. And we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Speaking of our freedoms, this is obviously a um, very hot-button topic right now when it comes to our country and really being sort of at the tail end of the national pandemic shutdown. Um, Tensions are kind of high right now. People are uh, frustrated for many reasons. Uh, We have been kind of locked away, unable to do the things that we enjoy, unable to work for many of us. not sure what's going to happen to our businesses, not sure what's going to happen to anything in the future. We, we've been in a, in a time of uncertainty, not being able to worship together out of a sense of um, responsibility for the community and not spreading a virus that we were unsure about. And so we, we did the right things. We, we, we um, complied with the necessary kind of changes in our society. And so, but now we're seeing kind of a tension rise and the desire to kind of break down the door and, and be free and do the things that we have always did before. And, and there are limitations and restrictions to that. There's a certain pace that people want us to take. And whether there's good science or bad science, there's people's opinions and their authority and there's overreach and there's common sense and everything in between. And we're finding ourselves more than ever in need of God's wisdom to know how to navigate all of this. Because as much as we are Americans, we are American citizens, and we have rights, and we have a constitution, and we have civil liberties based on that constitution that are ours to enjoy. As much as we have those, we are also citizens of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God. And so we need to do the right things, but do them in the right way. We need to take the right steps and the right actions, but do them in God's timing and in his way, not in our own. That's the tough line that we have to walk, both as citizens of this country, but also as citizens of heaven, belonging to the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, just what does it look like to have wisdom from above versus the wisdom that comes from below. If you have your Bibles, please turn to James. We're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Small little section in the book of James. And James, we, many of you know, is a book that has a lot of wisdom in it. Uh, we, we love James because he's so practical. Uh, the application of our faith is, is very apparent in his writing. And so a lot of commands, a lot of imperatives, a lot of uh, things to obey, but, but a lot of very common sense, practical application for us. James, as you know, is uh, the brother of Jesus He was not a believer during Jesus' ministry on earth, but after the resurrection, he became a believer and ended up ultimately becoming the the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And and James James is a lot about putting putting feet to our faith, actually living out what we believe, which is so important for us, especially right now. James is a big, if you've read through um, his letter before, he's, don't just hear the word, but actually do what it says. Don't just look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what you look like. Hear the word, what does God actually say, and then do it. That's the most practical thing you can do when God is speaking to us and revealing himself to us, that we would actually listen, follow him, do what he says. Later, James talks about in chapter 2, 
that if your faith is of any real real foundation, if your faith means anything, if it's a true saving faith, then it should have works that flows from that. Right? He talks about it in chapter 2, verses 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If you have true faith, show me. Show me that you have faith by, by the works in your life, by the fruit, the evidence of your life. And he gives us an example here. If someone's actually um, without proper clothing, if someone came through the doors of, of this church or came on your front doorstep and, and that you were talking with them and you could tell they weren't dressed appropriately, and, and in Colorado we have another kind of pseudo-freeze coming in the next couple of days, right? Going down to 33 degrees and you'd have to cover the plants that you decided to... It's, it's going to get cold again. This is what happens here. And these people come and they're not dressed properly and you can hear their stomachs growling and they don't have enough food and you have, you have more coats in your closet than you wear. You don't even know what you have. Sometimes you open the closet like, oh yeah, I forgot I had that coat. We've had it for so long. It's, we have too many things. Or maybe there's so much food in your pantry, you, don't, you forget about it. You go to the store, you buy more food, you bring it back like, oh, I didn't already had 12 of those. Right? And you put it on your shelf. And these people are without the proper clothing and without food. And you have great faith in Jesus, you say. You believe on him for your salvation. And yet you tell these people, well, I really hope you stay warm. And I really hope you get some food in your stomach. I think Chick-fil-A is having a, having a deal down the road. Maybe you can get a coupon or something. And you slowly kind of shut the door on them. Is that saving faith? There's no evidence that you really believe because your behavior does not follow your belief. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, you have compassion. You think of others above yourself. You don't think too highly of yourself. You see a need and you meet it. That's what true faith is. It's not contradictory. It doesn't, it doesn't work against works. Some people think that James is contradictory to Paul's teaching on faith alone to save. Remember, it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, Paul says in Ephesians 2. 8 and 9, we, and that's a memory verse, and we know it. It's, it's by faith alone. It's not by works that we're saved. And we don't want to go back into a system of works, the Old Testament law and the Judaizers who want to add things to, to your salvation. And so people think, well, he's contradicting Paul when he talks about that. But if you keep going... In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, those memory verses, maybe tack on verse 10 as well. And Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are to be living out our faith through good works. We are saved by faith alone, but the expression of that faith is how we walk, the manner of our lifestyle, how we love others like Jesus and so James is saying, you have faith, show me. Right? You're a hearer of the word, you know God's word, show me by doing it. You have faith, show me by your works. And in our section here, he does the same thing with wisdom. And he begins, and I'll, I'll read this section, and he kind of says the same thing. You have wisdom, you have understanding, you think you're very wise, show me by how you live your life. James says in chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James has given us some practical application here for a life of wisdom. So there's, there's three components here I want to look at this morning. The first is just the evidence of wisdom. What does wisdom really look like? And then we'll talk about the wisdom that's from below, earthly wisdom, and then wisdom from above. But first, the, the evidence of wisdom. Wisdom is defined, there's lots of different definitions out there. Sometimes I don't think we really know what it means because there's so many different definitions and ways to think about it and look at it. And then we have the two types of wisdoms, the the earthly wisdom versus godly, and how do we walk that line. Some definitions, hopefully, that will be helpful for you. Um, One definition, wisdom is considered by many to be simply the art of learning how to succeed in life. So it's the collective, kind of the culmination of knowledge, of experience, um, education perhaps, good judgment. It's a soundness of action and decision-making. So all of the things that we collect over time when we, when we read and learn and go to school and interact with people, we, we learn, right? We, we gain knowledge, and then we understand how to then navigate relationships, how to navigate problems, And wisdom is just a collection of all of that, learning how to be successful, right? And so if someone knows what to do, they've they've gained knowledge, and yet they do the opposite, that's considered unwise. But if they've gained understanding and knowledge, they know something is bad for them, they've, they've been down that road before, they've done the wrong thing before, and they decide to turn and go a different direction, that is wisdom. They're They're being successful in that moment. That's a general... Definition. A biblical definition would be as we look at God's Word, wisdom is the God given ability to see how, in all of our ways, throughout the whole course of our life, that we may acknowledge or know Him better. The ability to see how all of our ways, all of our actions, all of our decisions, how do we submit those to God? How do we know Him better? How do we obey Him better? We're supposed to trust God, right? Not lean on our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all of our ways. and He will make our paths straight. We're to, we're to trust him and lean on God. There's a difference there. And James says already in chapter 1, when he talks about wisdom, if you want to turn one page, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom in the context of suffering and, and, and all the things, the struggles we have to go through, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given to him. We're not to doubt when we do that. We're not to be tossed back and forth, not to be double-minded. We're to be focused on, on one person, God. But if we lack wisdom, we're to ask God. So wisdom comes from where? It comes from God. What is the beginning of wisdom? What does Solomon say in Proverbs? The, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. True wisdom begins with God. 
the knowledge of him. And so the more you know of God in the scriptures, the more you read the word and you're reading about this amazing God, the more you know him, the more you'll fear him. You'll, You'll have reverence toward him. You'll worship him. This is where godly wisdom comes from. The more you understand his, the fullness of who he is and his glory and his holiness, the more you'll begin to just change your posture in this life. You'll begin to bow your head. You'll begin to put yourself in the right place and put God in his place. You'll begin to see him on his throne and his majesty and his beauty. And as you do that, your, your knee will just have to go to the ground in reverence. And the more that you read about his great works and his mighty acts and his power, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. The more you read about his enduring, steadfast love toward his people, the more you read about the Lord Jesus who was sent from heaven to die on the cross on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins, then your other knee goes to the ground. And you can't help but just be bowed down before this God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who's in charge of everything. He knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. As you read about him, as you, as you gain knowledge about God, you fear him more. And now you're in a posture of worship. You're bowed down. That's where, no, where wisdom begins. That's the beginning of wisdom. Because now you can make decisions, navigate this life, navigate relationships, solve problems, by seeking him and his ways, because you know who he is. You know your own limitations. That's where wisdom begins. And nothing is really known truly until it reshapes your life, until it transforms your life. And so wisdom really for us as believers is the way of obedience. It is walking in obedience. We see this as Moses speaks to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, 5, he says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord God is near to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Our wisdom comes from obeying God, from remembering everything he's done, keeping everything in front of us. In view of God's mercies, we become living sacrifices. And so this is what wisdom looks like. This is the kind of a general definition and then the definition from the Bible. And so James says, who is wise? He begins his time, evidence of wisdom. What does it actually look like? He asks the question, who is wise and understanding? Anyone want to raise their hand to that? Who, who has wisdom? Who thinks they're wise? Who has the great intellect? Do you have enough diplomas on your wall? Are there little initials after your name? 
Have you had great experiences and great successes in life? Are you well-established financially? Does your status show that you have importance, that you've gained the trust of others? Or are you really able to solve problems well? Do things seem to go easy for you? Who is wise and understanding among you? It's like, okay, you raised your hand. I'm wise, right? I, I hear the word. I, I have faith. Then James is saying, show me. Be doers of the word. Let's see your works in light of your faith. And if you're wise, he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. By his good conduct. The word good here means good. It can mean lovely. And conduct means your manner of life, how you walk in this world. So if you're really wise, let me see the loveliness of the manner of your life. Let me see how how that lives out and how you talk to people, how you react to bad news, how you treat people. What do your actions actually look like? Is there a loveliness to the manner of your life? Let me see it in the works that you do, in the meekness of wisdom. He's used this word meekness before um, in chapter 1 when he talked about uh, receiving with meekness the implanted word. There's a, there's a sense of humility here. The word meekness can be defined as a self-subduing gentleness. A self-subduing gentleness towards both God and man. Vine's Dictionary has a, has a good definition as well. It says, it is the temper of spirit in which we accept his, God's, dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting, closely related to the word humility. It is only the humble heart which is also the meek, and which, as such, does not fight against God and more or less struggle and contend with him. We're trusting him. We've, we've gained knowledge of who he is. We fear him, and so we are wise in our humbleness before God. He says, this meekness, however, being first of all a meekness before God, is also in the face of men, even of evil men, out of a sense that these with insults and injuries which they may inflict are permitted and employed by him, by God, for the chastening and purifying of his elect. And so it has also a connotation of self-control, one of the fruit of the Spirit. There's a self-control to it. That even though evil men come against, even though there are offenses that come against me, that men come against me, I don't need to defend myself every time. Even though I have the power to do it, the authority to do it, I choose not to. There's restraint. There's humility. One last definition. Meekness is a humble attitude that expresses itself in the patient endurance of offenses. Gentleness would be another practical synonym. It implies mercy, self-restraint. Meekness is not weakness. Sometimes we confuse the two. But the difference between a meek person and a weak person is this. A weak person can't do anything. A meek person, on the other hand, can do something, but they choose not to. And so we, 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 from Matthew 11, we learn from Jesus, learn from me, for I'm meek, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Right? Jesus had all the power to do whatever he wanted to confront his enemies in that moment. And he chose not to. Why? Out of obedience to the Father. There was, a, there was a greater goal. There was a long, the long game was in mind, not just short-term relief. And that's where meekness and, and, and wisdom come together. 
especially wisdom from above. So James says, let him show by your good conduct the loveliness of the manner of your life by his works and the meekness of wisdom. We're making wise choices as we obey God and consider others, not just because it's something that we feel like we need to do or we should be doing. And then he provides a contrast for us. He provides the two types of wisdom. Wisdom from below is the first. If you read um, in verse 14, it says, But, so a contrast, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And so once again, ultimately, James is just saying your, your actions matter. You can have wise actions. You can do the right things. But your attitude matters too. Your heart matters. How you do them. When I ask my boys to, to do a chore, whether they're you know, emptying the dishwasher, taking out the trash, I'm asking them to do an action. I'm giving them an order. I'm giving them a chore. They know they're supposed to be doing it. It matters to me how they do that. If they're having a bad day, they're, they're busy with something else, they're on a video game or they're playing with a friend or they're doing something and I ask them to do that, to press pause and to, to help me out and get it done, if they go over and rip the trash bag out and slam it down and drag it to the floor and right, the door's slamming and when they're emptying the dishwasher, they're making sure they rattle the plates enough that I can hear it you know, outside if possible. If, if that's the attitude of the heart, then I'm not happy about that, right? Yes, the work is getting done. Yes, the action is taking place, but the attitude counts. And so James is talking about wisdom, a, once again, a culmination, a, a collective of knowledge and understanding and even sound judgment. But how you do it matters. Wisdom from below has, has, a, has a component to it that is that is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And he mentions those things twice. So we're going to take a look at those. If you have bitter jealousy, what does that mean? Well, the word bitter means to cut or it means pointed or sharp. There's an edge to it, right? If someone's bitter, they've kind of got an edge to them. You can, you can see it. You can hear it in their voice, how they treat people, how they're acting that day. There's a bitterness to it. So they might say the right thing, but how they say it negates any pleasantry about it, right? There's, there's nothing nice about it. There's a sharpness to it. Jealousy can be defined here as fierceness or zeal or really strong feelings towards something. So this bitter, it's, it's, a, it's a sharp, strong feeling towards something. Is it okay to have strong feelings, to have zeal? Absolutely, it's okay. But what we do with it makes, it makes a difference. And then if those strong feelings are not heard, if we feel there's an injustice, it, there becomes a sharpness to it. And that's not helpful for anybody. In the context of where we're at today in our society, there are people that, that, that think they're right. And those people are everyone. We all think we're right. right? We think we've, we've figured out the puzzle We've read all the, all the news feeds. We've, we've, we've heard all the different commentary from different state officials. And, and we, we've seen things with our own eyes. We've had our own experiences. We're going through our own hurts and our own emotions and our own isolation and difficulties. And so 
we, we, we put all of that together, and in our earthly wisdom, we think that we're right. And we have strong feelings about what we think. And there's a sharpness to it at times, right? And we want to get on our little soapbox, and we want to express that. Is that wisdom? Is that godly wisdom? Because you might be saying all the right things. Everything you're saying might be completely fine. But how you say it, how you deliver it, makes a difference. Why? Because it's paired, as James says, there with selfish ambition in your hearts. When you allow this, this sharp, strong feeling to start exiting your mouth, because James talks about the tongue a lot, right? The first section right before this is all about how you speak, the tongue, the power of words, and how it, how it breaks people down or it can build people back up. How you do things matter. What you say matters. And so the selfish ambition the definition here is a self-seeking, a rivalry, a, a, a desire to win followers is what it is. So you're creating factions. You're creating divisions. You want people to be on your side. Why else would you share your strong feelings unless you want people to agree with you? Right? You want them to be on your side about it. And so if you're a mask wearer, if you, if you, if you think the masks are extremely important and you don't leave home without it and you... You jog and you, you ride your bikes and in your car you wear the mask because you have read and you have seen and you believe certain things. And you have strong feelings about that. And if you're using earthly wisdom, you're going to speak that out in ways that are going to be, it's going to have a sharpness to it. You're going to want to win people to your side. You might even judge people and harass people that aren't wearing the mask like you do. On the other side of it, you might, you might be a non-mask wearer. You don't believe in any of this. This is all a government conspiracy. and right? we, we don't, you, you don't believe any of this happens. And this is all political, and this is all this and that, and you, you believe um, you're right about those things, and you want to share your strong feelings in the way that you want to share them. And, and you do so really at the, you don't really care if it helps someone. You don't really care about your witness in the moment. You just want to be right. You want to be heard. You want to win people to your side. That's what he's talking about. This bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. We feel offended. We feel there's an injustice. We believe we're right. And our mouth opens. And without even realizing it, we're either pushing people away or we're trying to bring people to our side. That's not godly wisdom. You may be right about some things. You might be wrong about many things. You see, I don't know about you, but I haven't been in the White House lately. I haven't been part of the briefings. I haven't been part of the intelligence or the the COVID-19 response team. I haven't been talking to all the professionals and the epidemiologists, and I haven't been visiting the CDC lately, and I haven't been around the world talking to other um, world leaders about this, this virus. I haven't been you know, sitting next to reporters and news stations. And I, I haven't, I don't know everything. I know some things based on my little world, but I don't know everything. I shouldn't presume that my strong feelings are the only right feelings. Do I believe that some of our civil liberties as it relates to the shutdown at this moment are being infringed upon? I do. Should I 
come into the pulpit with pieces of paper that have the government orders on them, like I've seen some pastors do, and rip them up in an act of defiance toward the state and government authorities. I don't think that's wise to do. Because as much as I might be right, as much as I'm a citizen of this country and have rights, there's ways to work those out. I have a voice. I can write letters. I can go talk to congressmen. I I can do many things if I want to put my effort into it. I can vote. I can even be part of litigation if if I deem that necessary at, at the right time. Absolutely, I can do those things. But as a citizen of heaven, what I don't have the right to do is just spouting off in bitter jealousy and sharp, strong feelings in such a way that I ruin my witness, that I'm no different than the world around me. I have a duty, I have a charge to live differently. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Are you walking wisely or are you walking in this worldly wisdom? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. And then we boast and are false to the truth. We're boasting. We're being, the louder I get, the more people I'll get on my side, right? You might be influential. You might be a great communicator. You might have sound reason and people might believe you, but are they drawn into an understanding of who God is through your life and through your actions, through your words? Or are they repelled away from God? Are they looking at man now? Are you creating factions and divisions? When we come back together as God's people, and we are in this place, it's going to look different for a little while. There's going to be rows of chairs removed, and some, there's going to be hand sanitizer. We're going to just fill up the baptistry, and you can just take a dip if you want, if, if you really need to get cleansed before we... we right? there's, we'll do everything that the CDC asks us to do. We'll take care of all these actions. We, I have no problem doing those things. But what my concern is that some of you are going to walk in, and you're going to be wearing a mask, and you're going to be really staying away from everybody, and there's going to be division and disunity because you have a different level of comfort. It's okay if you're not comfortable being close to people. That's fine for a while. If you want to wear a mask, you're welcome to do that. If you don't want to wear a mask, you're welcome to do that. But we need to respect one another and not assume that we're right and the other person's wrong. We need to ask God for wisdom. When we do that, we're not going to have this selfish component. We're not going to be seeking self. We're going to be seeking God and God's people and loving others by considering others better than ourselves. Oh, they're, they're wearing a mask, and they're, they've been using that hand sanitizer. They're, they're not, they haven't even stopped rubbing. They're just going, right? And they're sitting way over there in the corner. I want to go say hi to them, and I love them, and I, I want to I care for them and talk with them, but I don't know if, if, they're going to be, if they really want to talk with me. If someone wants to talk with you, if they're willing to engage, they'll be, part, they'll be closer to people. If they don't want to engage, they're going to be far away. They might leave out of the side door after the service and not talk to anybody. That's okay right now. Godly wisdom cares about that person more than they care about being right. How we live makes a difference. I was in natural grocers and I was, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually in the high risk category. I, I, I really haven't gone out that much. I'm trying to just, just follow kind of the, the guidelines and keep people safe and keep myself safe for the most part. I'm not a big mask wearer, and, but half the people going into the store wear masks, the other half aren't, and 
there's no reason for me not to. I'll be in there 10 minutes. So I put a mask on and I walked into the store and, you know, you're supposed to stay six feet apart. And, and I was in one aisle and I was uh, looking for something and a gentleman came down the other aisle and he saw me there and he saw I was in his aisle and he got kind of mad that I was standing there because he couldn't be around me. So he kind of huffed off and he was waiting at the end and waiting for me to be done. And then I Okay, and so I I finished and went to the next aisle. So he was trying to respect the distance, but he was angry about it. Didn't have to say a word. I don't I don't need you to show me your mouth to show me that you're you're mouthing things at me, right? That you're not very happy. Your eyes can can say it all. And so the next aisle I'm in, there's a you know I'm, I'm looking at some supplements, and I kind of step back because there's a big wall, and um, this lady comes in and she. Wearing a mask, but kind of half on, half off. I don't know if she's ever worn a mask before. It really wasn't fitting. And she kind of walks up, and she walks right in front of me and just looks up at the... And I, it's like, I'm pretty sure this isn't six feet. This is like less than six inches. And she just took over. And I've had that happen multiple occasions now where people cut me off in the, in the grocery line. They just jump on the conveyor belts and start putting stuff down. They just... There's something going on that there's a fear, there's a lack of awareness. I don't know what it is. But she stepped in front of me. Now, what would my response be? Do I have the right? Do I have the right of way? I was there first to tell her, excuse me, I was here first. Would you let me finish? And then you can, can you move six feet? Could, could I, I'd have the right to do that. In, in the moment, and thankfully because I was in the Word, and in this particular passage, in wisdom, I, I just kind of backed off and I moved six feet away and I let her finish. And, and go about her day. Because I don't know what's going on. I have strong feelings about what happened. And I'm a little bit self-seeking in that moment. But then the thought came to mind, I don't know what's going on in her life. I feel like I'm right. I'm in the right and she was in the wrong. But she could have been having a terrible day. Maybe she was just completely in a fog Maybe she was trying to get in and out really quickly. Maybe she's got a husband in a nursing home. Maybe she's got family members who are sick. Maybe she has someone who's died recently. Maybe she's in a hurry because she's late for something and traffic has been terrible. Maybe she lost her job. Maybe she doesn't have her pension. I don't know what's going on in her life. I can't assume to know any of those things. And so in wisdom, godly wisdom, I can do one of two things. I can say nothing and move away and let her be about her day. Or maybe I can say, excuse me, can I help you? Can I help you find something? Or can I reach something for you? Maybe I can make your day a little better. Maybe she intentionally did it. Maybe she doesn't care. But maybe her intentions were based off of years and years of people telling her that she was dumb or stupid or in the way. And maybe she's a slow driver and people were always yelling at her. Maybe she's had other problems. And so she's just become callous to life and to people. And she doesn't even care anymore. Either way, how I live my life, the manner of my life in that moment counts. It speaks to who I belong to. In godly wisdom, in that moment, it was for me just to be quiet and let her get what she needed. That's a witness. Because if I don't, if I if I allow those strong feelings, if I allow that self-seeking, that faction, that division to rise up in my heart, here's the outcome, James says. He says, this is not wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's what it is. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be 
disorder and every vile practice. The moment I give in to that, the moment I think I'm right, the moment I use earthly wisdom, even though it might be based on knowledge and experience and sound judgment, the moment I do things apart from God's way and do it my own way for my own, my own reasons and my own self-satisfaction, the moment I do that, I'm opening the door to disorder, to every vile practice. What starts to come into my heart then? Pride, maybe greed, maybe lust, judgment. I'm not loving anyone. I'm not having compassion on anybody. I'm not helping anybody. I'm not, definitely not honoring the Lord. There's no meekness in that. I'm allowing every offense coming against me to require a response, and that's not what Jesus has taught us. And so what is the wisdom from above then? What's, what's the contrast, James says? But the wisdom from above is first, what, pure? Does it make you just breathe a little, <laughs> a little easier? Have you ever just got a, a kind of a, a nice deep breath of pure oxygen or clean air and just how it makes you feel? You just feel different? Wisdom from God as we fear him, as we walk with him, is pure then peaceable. It's gentle, open to reason. This, this uh, idea of open to reason means ready to obey, able to be persuaded by God. That's wisdom from above. Things of the flesh is rising up and God, I want to do this and I think this is right and I'm in my right to say this and God's like, just take a breath. Let me persuade you to love this person and do things differently. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy and good fruits. That's godly wisdom. That's the fear of the Lord. Impartial. James talks about that in chapter 2, the sin of partiality. We don't want to be impartial. And sincere. It's coming from a, a place from the heart. And people know that. What's the result of it? The result of earthly wisdom is disorder in every vile practice. The result of godly wisdom from above is a harvest of righteousness. Harvest of right living before God. It's sown in peace by those who make peace. Sown in peace by those who make peace. Isn't that who we want to be? Isn't that how we want to live? So our applications for this morning, as we've already talked about a few of them, but when we come back together as God's people, hopefully soon. We're looking at it, you know, tentatively in a couple weeks, being able to reopen. The national spotlight has been kind of shown on places of worship and on churches by the president just in the last couple of days. The CDC has responded by providing guidelines for, for churches. And so we're looking at those things. We want to see how, how all of this flushes out at the state level a little bit and how other churches start to respond. And we want to do things in unity. And we want to do things well and with a good witness. Did we have the right, constitutionally, based on the lack of information, the lack of help and communication, do we have the right to reopen a couple weeks ago if we wanted to? I think so. Would it have been wise to do that? I don't think so. There's lots of things to consider, lots of things, lots of angles to talk about, lots of things to communicate. And we're going to be getting out more and more communication to you soon, probably this week. Uh, We'll start to get some emails out about what things are going to look like. We don't have an exact date yet, but we're working on that. 
But we're seeking God's wisdom. God, what do you want us to do? What's the date for Black Forest Chapel? How is this going to look, Lord? How do you want the seats arranged, Father? What kind of signs should we put out in front? What is the email going to look like? How are we going to love one another when we can't be close to one another, Father? And so we, we lack wisdom because this is unprecedented, and so we're seeking God. We ask that you would do the same as part of the application for this. Whatever has been kind of rising up, whatever kind of frustrated, righteous indignation, this, this idea of um, I have my rights and they're being stepped on and, and the separation of church and state and all these things that are true, how will you live that out? What is your conduct going to look like in relationship to all of those right things, all of your sound judgment? How do we continue to be a witness in this world and draw others to Jesus? That's our ultimate goal, to worship God, to do things his way. First Timothy 2.2, as we close our time, and as it relates to being a peacemaker, Jesus was not, he was not a wimp. He did not just cow down to the authorities. He did not just give in and roll over because they were too powerful and he didn't want to get involved and he was lazy. He didn't do any of that. He did exactly what he needed to do based on what the Father instructed him to do. And he did it perfectly without sin and full compassion and love for his people. And what did everyone around him, what did they want him to do? They wanted him to be the king, the Messiah, take over, overthrow the Roman government. Let's restore Israel to its rightful place. This is the promise of God. This is right and this is good. This is what God said was going to happen. And Jesus says, well, it's, it's going to happen, but not that way. We're going to do it God's way. And it requires for patience and forbearance. and It requires humility and meekness. It's a completely different paradigm shift in the way that all of God's people were thinking at that time, and even his disciples. And so as we think about our, our federal, our state government, our local government, and all the things that are taking place, and all the restrictions, and all the laws, and the mandates, and the safer at home, and as we think about all of these things, I want to consider how we can sow peace and have a harvest of righteousness as his people here in Black Forest. We might be a small church, but we can have a major impact just by how we live. First Timothy 2. He says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus is the mediator, not you, not me. He's the decision maker. He's the one that saves. All of this needs to be about the gospel going out. All of this needs to be about the saving of of lost souls, the least and the lost. How we can win them to Christ. How we can help them be compassionate, express 
our citizenship that is in heaven. It's not about getting our way and making us feel better in the short term. And when we come back together, we need to love one another, even when we have different varying degrees of comfort with masks or no masks or distancing. We will do what we can in wisdom. We will live in wisdom, not with earthly selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. That is not who we are. Consider your heart this morning. Where are you at with all of this? How have you been living? What have you been saying? How have you been talking to your neighbor about all of this? Are you creating division and factions? Are you trying to get people on your side? Or are you pointing them to God through a life of humility, the meekness of wisdom? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, that it restores us, it refreshes us, it renews our mind, so we might think as you think, Father, we might have your perspective. Help us to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on the things that are above, to put the death, the sin in our life, to put away earthly things, Lord, to put on Christ-likeness, We pray that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts, that the word of Christ would dwell in our hearts. We want to be your people. We want to live your way. Please, Father, we we ask desperately now for your wisdom, that you would teach us and you would show us what to do. And we know that the beginning of that is simply a reverence in your presence, to bow down before you, to be a people that are repentant, We thank you so much, Father, for the privilege of being able to gather for worship in this place. And we anticipate with great expectation as we come back together soon. Help us to be patient. Help us to be wise. Ultimately, Lord, help us to be on mission no matter where we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.